Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard, it's a travel day for me. I'll be leaving here once the show is over. Got to get the car washed, all that good stuff, get a backpack, and get on the road. 
and uh, headed out west. I've been threatening to do that all week. So we're going to go take care of that, bring in the stuff with me so you'll get your Friday show as scheduled. It'll be the first time we've done it in the southwestern United States. How about that? Boneyard on the road. But uh, we're going to talk extensively about Arizona today. We're going to do our opponent preview, too, but also watch the game. And so we're going to break down the game and you know, show some things that I kind of picked up on. We're going to have a special top ten list uh, dedicated to uh, musical acts from the great state of Arizona. I think you're going to be surprised. You're going to say, I didn't know so-and-so was there. Great list. Very diverse list. Great list. Lots to talk about for sure today. Uh, I've written a lot of notes down. Watched a lot of football here the last few days. Try to get caught up. and uh, Because yeah, I don't just like to shoot from the hip with you guys. Because like you look at the box score sometimes and they can be misleading. You look at a box score and you think, man, there's this. And then all of a sudden you look and you realize the quality of the opponent. The quality of the athlete. And you compare it to what you see in the Southeastern Conference. And it's kind of eye-opening a little bit. So... Uh, it's a game that Mississippi State's going to have to go play well. We're not going to be able to give them extra possessions. We're going to have to finish drives. We're not going to be able to go out there and get loose and fast with the football. It's one of the things that happened to San Diego State, which lost a lot from last year. We're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later in the show. But uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to get on the road. You guys know how hard I've worked the last three weeks, right? I'm putting this rock show together, which happens in 23 days. Lily and Axe making their Starkville, Mississippi debut at Rock Vegas. Got VIP passes in yesterday. A lot of things kind of moving forward. We'll have our banners here when I get back from uh, Arizona. That's going to be going up. Digital billboard started on Monday. Radio ad started on Tuesday. I uh, met with the marketing firm today. I mean, yeah, we're doing it all right, right? I mean, you know, here's the thing, too. And we're, uh, we're basically right now at, at 50% a little over 50% of capacity. And so as it gets closer to the show, there'll be a little more urgency and people will buy those tickets up. So I encourage you as always, go ahead and get your tickets. And if you want to support the show and maybe you don't plan to attend, if you want to buy those tickets, email them to me at srobertson at jeanspage.com and I will get them in the hands of some Mississippi State students that can have a night out of rock on you. And all money from ticket sales and official merchandising sales, go directly to Mississippi State's NIL efforts through the Bulldog Initiative. A lot of people last Saturday, like I'm, I'm on campus, you're like, dude, I'm so glad you're doing this. You know, we're going to buy tickets. We're going to buy tickets. We're going to buy tickets. So get them bought. Uh, I'll feel a whole lot better when this is done because this is not a vanity project. I'm just trying to raise money for Mississippi State's uh, NIL efforts. But also, too, I want something cool to happen in Starkville. And I've had multiple people tell me, well, you know, I'll just buy a ticket the day of the show. I can't promise you that's going to be available. Now, you say, well, you know, Steve, we'll, just, we'll work it out. I'm sure Hobie will just take my money. Well, no, no, we've kind of got an understanding. I mean, there's a fire marshal in Starkville. We're, we're well aware of that. And when there's these events, they're going to walk through and make sure that we're compliant. And we're going to be compliant. Last thing I'm going to do is go to all this trouble and effort and then have a show shut down by the fire marshal. So we're going to do things correctly. We're going to do it by the book. So if you want to support the show, you want to attend the show, buy tickets today. Because, again, like t- talking to Charlie, Charlie's like I was walking to the club level, and there's all this buzz, and everybody's like, dude, we're buying tickets. We're going to do this. We're going to support this. All right, let's get it done. Because once we get it done, I can stop talking about it, right? And so constantly promoting, constantly uh, in a state here of trying to do what we can to help Mississippi State. It's, again, you know, this, we're about re-energizing the rock scene in Mississippi. We're going, I'm going to be doing some other things, too. But also, too, 
this is an opportunity you know, for you to contribute to Mississippi State's NIL efforts. And I had one guy say, Steve, listen, I, I admire your passion. Very inspiring. I just don't believe in NIL. And, and it doesn't matter if we believe in it or not. It's real. You know, we may not feel like that's the way to do things. That's the way things are being done. That's what our competitors are doing. And so buy tickets to the show and then consider setting up perhaps monthly payments, whether they be 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever, through the initiative. There's a, every little bit counts. And I, a friend of mine said, you know, Steve, I set it up, man. It's 50 bucks a month. I know that's not a lot of money. I'm like, dude, thanks for doing your part. Because that 50 bucks over the course of a year is 600 bucks. And if we have, you know, you get 1,000 people giving 50 bucks a month, that's 600K. All right, so you can do the math on that. So I think everybody can think about that. And it's like, oh, I, you know, I already do this. I get it. I'm not going to judge anybody. But we need a contribution of some sorts from as many people that can spare it. You don't have to come write some big, you know, five-digit check. If you could, that'd be amazing. But if you can't, you say, you know what, hey, Steve, I can only give, you know, 25, 30, 40, 50 bucks a month. We'll take that too. Because it's about creating good NIL opportunities for our student athletes. And the best way, contrary to popular belief, the best way to get kids here is not to go offer them NIL deals, but as you say, hey, listen, we can't offer you that as a recruit, however, in, in the state of Mississippi, you can but, but under certain circumstances. But you know, the best way is to show, hey, well, this guy came here and this is what he got. This young lady came here and this is what she got. These are the opportunities that our student athletes are getting. So I share that with you because you can be a part of that. And, uh, again, I was a reluctant convert. But now that I understand it and I see it in action, I think it's absolutely the way to go. And there will be other people around the country that say, hey, look, the guys at Mississippi State did a concert. We're going to do a concert, too. And you know what? They may get Garth Brooks to do it and, and make a ton of money. You know what? Good for those kids. Good for the student athletes. But, in, you know, there are going to be other people out there that may do it bigger and grander than we do. And we're going to have to do our best to match it. We're going to do a bigger show next year already talking to some reps of some bands that are interested in doing our show next year through rock vegas 2023 so we're already planning i've already reached out to some people you know at, at mississippi state and say hey, we need to do this need to do that so this is going to be an annual event i encourage you to get behind it so if you believe in me and i would suggest you probably do since you listen to the show you believe in mississippi state you believe in rock and roll this is an event we need you to support and again we're over 50% capacity right now. So we're already going to have a good crowd. We want a great crowd, though. And I think the guys in Lillian Axe certainly deserve that. You'd have a packed house. And you may not know this, but Stevie Blaze uh, married a young lady from Noxipater, Mississippi, and her family still lives out in Winston County. She attended Mississippi State and worked at the university. So they're, they're, they're ours, too. And uh, Stevie Blaze used to have a home here in Starkville. Used to live here among us. And so we're basically kind of using some of our own people to help us so let's support it get behind it and again um you know i'm eager for this show to happen and uh, we pretty much got everything done now but the reality of it is there's you know still some tickets to be sold a couple small things we got to do here and there and i won't rest a wink probably until uh until it's all over and done with that's probably this trip to arizona is probably good for me right kind of get away from this for a little while so uh let's speak of arizona let's get ready to talk arizona let's thank our friends at bulldog burger company I love them more than a friend. You may like them a lot. I love them, and they love you. They love me. 
Go by and see them today. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas with that fabulous new patio area. And it's starting to cool down a little bit. That's going to be an option I think you're going to be excited about. Some outside dining. Be able to kind of chill, take in the, uh, the fall weather. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. That is a tremendous location if you've never been. That's a great place for a restaurant. And then Lake Harbor Drive there in the Roots and Flowood area. Be sure to go check them out today. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Right? Get that chocolate shake to go. Have that great restaurant quality hamburger. And there's so many great ones to choose from. I've kind of been back on the pimentology as of late. I do like those sloppy joe sliders, though. That's a really good lunch portion, right? It's very tasty, not overfilling. You know, sometimes you get a big lunch, and it's like the rest of the afternoon. You're, you're kind of miserable. Yeah, that's not the case. But I love that BLT grilled salad. I do. I, I love it. It's probably my favorite salad of all time. When you're in town, go by and check them out. Make it a destination for you next time that you're headed to one of these great locations. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, we're going to be Arizona heavy today. You got to get ready, man. I mean, it's the first time we played these guys. And uh, Arizona all-time 1-5-1 and one against SEC opponents. Uh, their lone win came in 1976 against Auburn. Their last SEC opponent was at LSU in 2006. That's a loss. So they don't play SEC teams very often. And when they have, they've lost. Now, that, now that and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee at the Delo truck stop, right? And, yes, I know it's out of business. But you, it, it's still, you know, you get it. So it's ancient history. But they have not had a lot of success against SEC teams. Now, now I'm, I'm not sure this current team has got a lot of transfers that had some success last week. I'm not sure they're cared about any of that. They're not going to say, you know what, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. The Wildcats are going to come to play, but let's take a quick look and kind of run through some things, and then um, we're going to kind of have an elongated segment here. We're going to, so we're going, to, we're going to talk about Arizona. We're going to do top ten lists. We're going to come back and talk about the Arizona game against San Diego State, and then we'll come back and talk about a couple other things before we get out the door. So very Arizona-heavy today. Let's do our regular opponent preview. Arizona last year was awful. Now, it was Jed's first year there. It was terrible. But if you look at some of these games, you know, early on they were somewhat competitive. And some of these other games kind of got away from them. You know, kind of what you'd expect with a team that kind of lost its ability to win. You know, it's like they don't believe. But they get out the door. They play in Vegas against BYU. And it was a 9.30 central time kick. They lose 24-16. They host San Diego State last year and lose 38-14. And San Diego State ran all over them. The Northern Arizona Lumberjacks go into Arizona Stadium and beat the Wildcats 21-19. That's right. UNA beat U of A in Tucson. They go to Oregon, and Joe and the fellows get them 41-19. They get the bye week to prepare for UCLA. They lose 34-16. They travel to Colorado. And Colorado was just okay last year. Beat them 34-0. Washington Huskies roll into Tucson and win 21-16. Wasn't a great Washington team last year. They go to USC the next week, make a game of it, lose 41-34. They finally get their first win of the year, their only win of the year, against the California Golden Bears and Peter Sermon, 10-3. Can't chalk that one up to Peter, though. I mean, Peter holds them with 10 points. They lose the ballgame. 
The Utah Utes visit Tucson and win 38-29. They go to Pullman, Washington, lose to Washington State 44-18. That's one of those things, too, you start thinking, too. You know, there was a lot of elements of the elite system kind of still in place up there. And then they go to Arizona State, the rivalry game, and lose 38-15. So, not great. Now, we'll run through some of these stats from last year, even though a lot has changed. You know, the fundamental elements of the offense and defensive scheme are, are similar, but the personnel is much different. But last year, just kind of you know, abysmal offensively passing. They threw for 226 yards, ran for 131, averaged 3.7 yards per carry. You know, completion percentage was right at 60%. Pretty crazy. Um, 357 yards a game. Pretty impressive in that respect. They also turned the ball over basically two times a game. They really struggled to, to force turnovers last year. Did a little better job of it Saturday. And some of those do, when you watch the game against San Diego State, and, and I encourage you, go watch the game, and you can probably find like an abridged version out there online somewhere that kind of cuts the commercials out. I think you're going to feel a little bit more confident about the game. Uh, defensively last year, they allowed 190 yards per game passing and 182 yards rushing. And there was a ton of that. And, and while, if you could run as successfully as some teams do, why, why would you ever want to throw the football? But they allowed 372 yards per game. Will Plummer, of course, is a quarterback last year. He's not anymore, but nine interceptions against six touchdowns, a QBR of 109.4, just a 58% completion percentage. They played four quarterbacks last year, four. Three of them got pretty extensive action last year. Michael Wiley, uh, probably the straw that stirred the drink last year. 302 yards rushing, 297 yards receiving, so all-purpose, 599. Stanley Berry Hill III, that was the guy that did some good things for him as a receiver last year. He's, uh, you know, he's the guy, too, you look at and say, you know what, guy may have been the dude on that team, 744 yards receiving, 865 yards uh, from the line of scrimmage. But um, – you know, you've got to have a leading rusher. You know, you've got to have a leading receiver. Everybody does, kind of like in college basketball. Everybody's got a leading scorer. It doesn't mean they're a star. Uh, defensively, they didn't have anybody that had more than 90 tackles. The leading tackler last year was Anthony Pandy. 82 total tackles for him. And he's a guy that has exhausted his eligibility. A pretty, pretty good linebacker for those guys last year. Uh, number two tackler a year ago was Christian Young. He, too, has exhausted his eligibility. Uh, Jackson Turner had 58 tackles, the third leading tackle last year. Also led the team in uh, pass defenses. But you start, you know, you start running numbers here, and you start looking at this, uh, you know, as a team, just four interceptions last year. Four. Not great. Forced fumbles, five. Not great. And so you put those numbers out there, and you begin to think, okay. This is a team that definitely needed an influx of talent. They needed some playmakers. And, you know, again, when you've been through some of these things, you start getting beaten down a little bit. You start – it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like we're going to lose again. We're going to go out here and we're going to lose again. And the thing about that is that I've learned about life is there, there are two kinds of people, those who think they're going to make it and those who think they, they aren't. And the funny thing is is both of them are usually right. Every so often they'll surprise themselves. You know, because sometimes somebody will lose it for you. But I think it's important to kind of understand 
that uh, this is not the same team it was a year ago. A lot of transfers, a lot of changes to that roster. And this is, that's the thing about transfer portals. You can kind of flip your roster pretty quickly. And they went out and got some guys that you know, made them a better team. And I think that's, that's apparent. But I don't know that maybe they're as good as maybe some people are suggesting. Now, the flip side of that is, to be fair to those guys, is nobody really knows for sure. You may have had a shift in culture. You may have had a shift in believing. I think that's one of the things to kind of understand about all this thing, too, is you know, you've had a lot of these guys that have come in here and um, looking for an opportunity. But they added nine transfers last year. They get D.J. Williams, the running back from Florida State. Jeremy Mercer from Utah, a linebacker, steps in. Jack Buford, offensive tackle. That's from New Mexico. Taola Savea, I'm sure I got that wrong. I apologize to the Savea family, but transferred, defensive lineman, transferred in from UCLA. Jaden Delora from Washington State, a former Mike Leach recruit. Anthony Solomon, linebacker, transfers in from Michigan. Jacob Cowing, we'll talk about him. I, I, I wrote a column about him yesterday. After watching that, I said, you know what, I, I got to write about this guy. Jacob Cowan from UTEP, led them in uh, receiving three consecutive years. Hunter Eccles, a defensive end from USC. And then DJ Warnell, a safety from UCLA. And so you look at that and say that they got some guys, most of them from legitimate Power Five programs. Most of them, however, rated much less than they were as a high school recruit because they've been non-productive so far on the college level. So maybe the change in scenery will be good for them. That kind of remains to be seen, but I'm sure that, you know, when you've got new guys coming in, you begin to think, okay, let's just start fresh. You know, let's everybody get out here together and let's kind of figure this thing out. Last year, it doesn't matter. All right, so having to hire a new employee sometimes is the absolute worst, Right. We've all been there. If you've got your own small business, I mean, you're, you're trusting your livelihood. You're trusting your baby, your blood, sweat, and tears with somebody perhaps you don't know very well. That's why you got to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. How cool is that? There have been times in the past I've made hiring decisions when I was desperate for an employee been nice to have had a partner to help me screen through some of this and make sure that I get people that fit the specific skill set I'm looking for. It's so easy to go make a free ad today at LinkedIn. Maybe you should. And then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it much easier to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to actually meet, interview, and ultimately hire. It's important to have the right team. It's why every small business rates LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus their leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster than ever before. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash boneyard. That's linkedin.com slash boneyard to post your job for free. Some terms and conditions may apply. It's interesting they won one game two years. That's terrible. I mean, it's like when you begin to think about that, we think about sometimes we've had some lean years. 
you know, in, in my lifetime, it's never been like that. I lived through Tech in 10. But in 2020, Arizona was winless. They went 0-5, didn't play many games because, you know, the Pac-12 wasn't sure what they wanted to do. They ended the 2019 season on a seven-game losing streak. So seven and then five the next year. They were 0 for their last 12, and they win one game last year. So one in 23 in the last two and a half seasons. These are guys that are used to losing. And so that's one of the reasons I think if we can, if we can get out and kind of get a good start on them, we've got a chance here. They were among the worst in offensive scoring last year. Terrible. One of the worst in first and ter- force and turnovers. They did a good job of that last week. One of the worst defensively. One of the worst in scoring margins. In margin, excuse me. And so the, the reality of it is, is that um, these guys are still in transition. And, they, and they're playing a big ball game. They've got an SEC team coming in. They're going to be up. They're going to be excited to play. But uh, yeah, Delora is a dude, man. Jaden Delora is a guy. I'm, I'm going to speak a little more about him as we get into uh, you know, kind of recapping that San Diego State game. But what I notice about him, watching his post-game interviews, watching his media opportunities, is the kid just exudes confidence. Like he's not up there choosing his words carefully. He's just kind of let it flow. And I like it. I like it. I like the fact that he's a shoot from the hip, kind of a swashbuckler type of guy. That kind of stuff is exciting to me. You can see why people gravitate to him. That's the kind of guy you want in the huddle. And I think when you've got a guy like him that has actually been on a Power 5 roster before, and he's like, you know what, hey, this is my shot, and I got nothing to lose. Let's go in here and make some things happen. And so impressed with Jaden Delora so far. Definitely. And uh, he was the offensive freshman of the year last year, Washington State. All right, so he's not the biggest guy, and he's not the most – I wouldn't say he's a threat to run, but he's very mobile in the pocket. Like he, you know, he's, he's a guy you're going to have a difficult time getting him on the ground. You're not going to run a lot of design runs for him, but he's a guy, too, that if you get a clean shot at him, you got to get him. If not, he'll make you pay a little bit. Um, so, you know, we'll kind of see how things go. Uh, with them, but uh, you know they've got some some young and up and coming guys they feel really good about, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that too. But you know the DJ Williams thing, I think is really interesting. The kid from Florida State, so obviously he's a guy that um, you know they had a good pedigree coming out of high school. I don't know the caliber of coaching he got at Florida State, right? Pretty crazy. I don't know. Um, but a good change for him. You know, maybe he comes in, maybe he becomes a dude. And, and um, you know, they, they certainly had, you know, Michael Wiley moving on, and so they, they certainly had an opportunity there. Offensive line had to replace two starters. Uh, but they're a big, long, lean group. You know, they, they have SEC size, if you understand what I'm saying. And we'll see what happens with the rest of that. But the athleticism piece, I think, is still maybe something you got to – you know, consider. I think the talent differential between State and Washington, excuse me, and Arizona is is pretty significant. And uh, I don't say that you know this is a homer, which I've, I've been accused of that. But watching them play yesterday, I tried to be as objective as I could be. And I think again, in the trenches, they look like a Power Five football team. But from the skill set 
standpoint, I don't really know if that's the case. Good size, not real twitchy. Does that make sense here? Um, you know, we'll see. And, of course, uh, you know, new defensive coordinator. But, you know, Don Brown was there last year. You know, legend. Legend. Don Brown was there. And so uh, they've done some good things to kind of you know, lay a good foundation. Uh, Johnny Nansen is there now. And he's very familiar with their league. You've know, been at USC, UCLA. And they're more of a bend but don't break defense. You know, they're not going to be, you know, and I suspect we'll see a ton of drop eight. I think that's what we're going to do. I think we're going to see a ton of drop eight. Mike Leach has had some big days in Tucson, Arizona. And so you can go read their message board, and they kind of wince when they mention his name. Now, the secondary is pretty good. Uh, Traden Stukes didn't play last week. He's expected to play this week. Uh, Christian Roland Wallace, of course, the guy we talked about earlier, you know, one of their leading tacklers from a year ago. You know, he's back. Uh, this Rutherford kid talked about. We'll talk about him a little later in the show. He's just kind of been okay. Jackson Turner, Christian Young, they've got some experience in the secondary, but they haven't seen this game very often. And again, you Washington State still running some elements of the air raid. Had a huge day against the secondary last year. So we'll see. Um, and that's the thing, too. Arizona didn't lose a ton, but it's like you weren't any good. You know, maybe better to lose a lot and kind of start fresh. But, um, you know, that Hunter Eccles kid from SC is a guy that um, could be could be a factor in the ballgame. Let's take a look at, uh, at this year's schedule and kind of see what it looks like for those guys. And, again, you at some point somebody's got to put their foot in the ground and say, okay, this is enough, we're done. And you got to think they're going to be feeling euphoric they beat San Diego State 38-20. And San Diego State was a good team last year. Again, they lost a lot. But you go on the road playing a team that won, what, 10, 11 games last year in their brand-new stadium to open the season. You know the folks at San Diego State, the Aztecs, were fired up. You know they were. And then you're able to go in there and beat them. And not just on a flukish thing, you nearly double them up. So – Arizona's right to be excited. It's a home opener, SEC team coming in here, and probably in their minds are thinking, you know, we, we can beat these guys. So I expect them to, uh, to be a little pesky early. We need something big to happen early. We need to go out there and punch somebody in the mouth, get a turnover or something. I think once State gets a little bit of a, of a lead here, I, you know, I, I think this is a team, you kind of get them out of their offense a little bit kind of force them to, to do some things that maybe perhaps are a little bit uncomfortable with. You need to get a lead early. If State can come out hot like we did against Memphis, you know, barring the rainstorm, I really like State to win and cover in this ballgame. All right, next week, Arizona will host the North Dakota State Bison. They travel to Cal the next week. They get Colorado and Arizona. They get Oregon at Arizona. Then they go to Washington. They're off. They get USC. They're at Utah, at UCLA. They uh, host Washington State, and they host Arizona State. And so you start running these things down. Now, I'm not a guy that keeps up with a ton of Pac-12 football. I think they're going to have a tough time getting to a bowl game, uh, to be quite honest with you. Now, could they be a 6-6 six and six type team? I mean, when you start looking at this schedule, it's like, you know, how good's Cal? Okay, so they've already won one game, and they're going to beat North Dakota State. They're going to lose to Mississippi State. That so makes them 2-1. and one. But I'm sure they're thinking if we can get through Mississippi State, we're 3-0 and and halfway to bowl eligibility, and that would be a nice step in the right direction after the last few years we've had. But 
when you look at how brutal that schedule is after the bye week, I mean, you know, they're, they're probably looking at dropping five in a row. So they got to make hay early. You know, Oregon's been a ranked team. You know, Colorado's a decent team. It's, it's always tough to go to Seattle and win. So I don't think this is a great Arizona team. It's funny how things happen. You know, and you said, well, that's really not a hot take, Steve. They won one game last year. That's my point. But sometimes in our fans' mind, we kind of romanticize the opponent. Oh, you know, we're catching them at the wrong time. And all of a sudden, they know something we don't know. Guys, I, I think Mississippi State is in good shape here. I worry about logistics a little bit. You know, going out there, playing in the desert. How are we going to handle all that? You know, Mike Leach and his strength and conditioning staff and everybody associated with that, they have played there before. It's not like countries come into town for the first time. This, this is a group that is very familiar. They, they made the trip from Pullman, Washington. You don't think there's a big difference in the atmosphere in Pullman, Washington than there is in Tucson, Arizona? So they, they know how to prepare and hydrate your players. I'm not the least bit worried about that. And I think sometimes we're making too much about the kickoff. College students are up late anyway. And like Leach says, well, Friday night, we'll just go to a late movie and let the kids sleep late, and then we'll start our schedule. That, that's the simplest thing to me. I mean, why would you get them up early and make them sit around the hotel all day? We'll take them out, go get some ice cream, whatever. We'll let the guys stay up late, sleep late, and get going. That, to me, that's the simplest thing to do. You know, it's like college kids are always up late anyway. A bunch of you follow them on social media, you see it. You know, it's not like everybody's going to bed by 10. You know, for some of us, if we had to go line up and do any kind of physical activity at 10 o'clock at night, we'd make it to about 1030. These guys are, are student athletes. I'm not worried about that in the least. I think we have made a bigger deal about it because we're thinking about, oh, my gosh, it's going to be such a late night for us have to sit up and work with all this stuff. And I don't know if I'm going to make it to church the next day, right? That's what I've heard a lot of. Well, you know, you're not playing in a game. You're not. So I think we're making too much of that. I think we're making too much. We think about the imposition and the inconvenience for us as fans, and we kind of rest that on the shoulders of the players. You know, they're going to be fine. You saw what happened last week, and, you know, Mike had the funny answer to me. I said, you know, how do you prepare – he goes, well, the first thing you do is you have a, a two-hour rain delay, you know, in your previous ball game. You don't think that, that that really tested the fortitude of our players? To You know, think about that for a second. We score, and we're about to go down and punch them in the mouth again, and then we have this two-hour and, what, seven-minute rain delay. We come right back out, and we still punch them in the mouth. You know, if, if we had taken some time and it took us a while to get going again, you wouldn't have been the least bit surprised. You're like, oh, my gosh, our momentum has been killed by this. That wasn't what happened. This team has some intestinal fortitude. They're going to be good. They're going to be ready to go. And, again, you know, it's you get on a plane, you go out there, it's a long flight. And I understand we're leaving here like 2.30 or we're getting there like 2.30 local time, something like that. So we'll do a walkthrough out there and everybody will kind of get settled. And, listen, compared to the stadiums that we play in, you know, it's not going to be – that's hostile environment that a lot of people are suggesting. Let's take a quick look back at what happened last year. Home games for them. So they, the home game last year, the home opener, San Diego State, they had 39,097 people. The next week against Northern Arizona, 33,481. UCLA, 43,258. You know the Bruins probably traveled pretty well. Washington, 30,880. Cal came in 30,677. Utah, 32,008. 
Uh, and I, so I say that because I think it's important. Now, granted, it was a long season, right? But this is going to be thirty to 40000 That's not going to be – that's not going to intimidate our kids. We, we played in front of, what, 88000 at A&M last year. And there will be a few hundred of you out there, even without your cowbells, and you'll probably stand out, Right? And so I just – I'm not worried about the atmosphere. I'm not really worried about logistics as much as maybe as I was early in the week after talking to Leach. This is going to be a football game, and it's going to be about how we can play defense, how we can play offense. And I'm eager to see how the ball travels in that desert air with all the humidity, you know. It just – it sounds like a minor thing, but I think it could be significant. You know, we come out sailing the football a little bit. I don't know. That's what the walkthrough is for. So, again, we'll come back after the top ten list and uh, we'll break down the Arizona-San Diego State game and I'll share with you some things that I picked up watching that game. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by Close at Blair.com. Uh, I love Blair Chandler. You will love Blair Chandler too if you don't already. Blair is fabulous. Blair does a great job. Blair is your friend on the inside. And that's in the mortgage industry. And when you've got a complicated undertaking, it's good to have an experienced professional to help guide you through it. Blair Chandler's been in the mortgage industry 21 years. I don't care who you are. You do anything 20 years, you pretty much got it down. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's digging ditches or building bridges. You do it 20 years. Nobody stays in the indie industry that long unless they're being successful. Uh, go to closewithblair.com, that's C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, and uh, shoot him a text and kind of look at the services that he has available to you. Whether you're looking to refinance or possibly buy a home for the first time, and let me encourage you to. Get, I mean, getting stories all the time. People that went to Blair that have been turned down somewhere else and able to get a loan done, right? Because you don't really care who does it, right? You just, you just want to get your home mortgage handled, We'll go with a closer. Coffee is for closers, and Blair gets more than his share. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And let him know you heard about him on the barnyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. A lot of people out there want your business. Blair's willing to work for it. He's earned it. Again, that's closeatblair.com. Okay, today's top ten list. We're focusing on musical acts or artists from the state of Arizona. There's not a lot of them. But there are some legendary acts from Arizona. Now, some of these are just like bands that I like that maybe you hadn't heard of. So we've got a nice little a smorgasbord, maybe, was the right word to use here. You know, maybe, maybe it's, a, it's, it's a proverbial fruit salad. No grapefruit in my fruit salad. None whatsoever, because it ruins the fruit salad. If you're a fruit salad person, you understand what I mean? Why would you ever put a grapefruit in a fruit salad? I mean, it's like putting onions in potato salad, man. Why would you ruin it? Right? It's like, oh, we're having a great time. Okay, well, you know, let's just roll in here and bring in a pack of wild animals. Why can't we just have a good time? No, no, no. we got to spice it up. We can put a grapefruit in a fruit salad. I'm telling you, people that put onions in potato salad, when you stand before God someday, you're going to have to answer for that. All right, top ten musical acts from arizona according to me number 10 this is a band like if you listen to sirius xm octane and i do i'm an octane listener i was probably one of the first maybe thousand subscribers to sirius xm or sirius we didn't we weren't on xm sirius was like you know the up-and-comer it was kind of like pepsi in a coke world 
And so, like, used to, like, you, there may have been, I don't know, maybe a hundred of us listening to Octane. And so, like, you could text in your request, and, like, ten minutes later, they'd play it. You know, I mean, that's how few of us there were. This band right here, I love them. They only cut two albums, and I guess they're defunct now. It's a band called 32 Leaves. 32 Leaves. Homegrown in Arizona. Their hit single was a song called All Is Numb. All Is Numb, 32 Leaves, number 10. Number nine, and uh, this would probably be higher on many of your list. And my friend Bill Martin, Bill Martin that now is uh, SID at Tennessee, former Mississippi State SID, uh, former, um, you know, f- former LSU guy. But he's really big in the Jimmy Eat world. He said he saw him at the varsity when he was at LSU and loved him. I, you know, I, they're a one-hit wonder to me. He loves that album. He's like, oh, my gosh, I love Jimmy Eat world. Yeah, that's a great album. I kind of joke with him about it. He's the biggest Jimmy Eat world fan I know. But we're going to go with the quintessential, the middle. And there are a lot of college basketball pep bands that play that song. It's kind of catchy. It really is. Number eight, we're going back to modern rock. This is probably a band many of you have never heard. I love these guys. They don't have a really deep catalog, but uh, it's a little bit darker. Vocals a little more strained. But it's uh, Digital Summer, and the song is Just Run. Love it, man. Absolutely love it. Now, kind of staying with the darker stuff here. We're going to go to the industrial side. Band, I didn't know they were from Arizona until today. And I have uh, their first, two of their first three. They only did three albums. I have two of the three. But it's Machines of Loving Grace. And if you have the Crow soundtrack, you have a Machines of Loving Grace track in your library. My favorite Machines of Loving Grace track is Butterfly Wings. We've talked about that one on the show before, too. Don't place faith in human beings because human beings are unreliable things. It's great, our butterfly wings. All right, number six, and this may surprise some of you, but I respect her talent. It's not really my cup of tea. It's Linda Ronstadt. Did you know she was an Arizona native? Maybe you didn't. We're going with You're No Good. And, And part of my research for this, I learned that she nearly passed on the song because she thought the guitar sounded too much like a Beatles song. And it's not that she was anti-Beatles. She just didn't think it matched her. And it ends up being one of her biggest hits. You're no good, Linda Ronstadt. Number five, this is more in my wheelhouse, and I admit to being a huge fan. I know she's had some personal problems here as of late. Wish her and her family the best, but it's Michelle Branch. Because if you want to, I can save you. I can take you away from here. So lonely inside, so lonely out there. And all you wanted was somebody to care. That's right, it's all you wanted. You didn't think you'd have me reciting those lyrics today, didn't you? Michelle Branch, love her. She's so incredibly talented. Writes her own music. I love that. I love singer-songwriters. There's some people out there that could sing the phone book, man, but they couldn't, they couldn't write Mary Had a Little Lamb. Michelle Branch is the real deal. Number four. Probably the best band to ever come out of Phoenix, Arizona. A band that's near and dear to my heart. It's the Jim Blossoms. They're touring again, too. Of course, Doug Hoskins has uh, been dead a long time. Doug wrote all the hits. Doug was a victim of alcoholism, depression, suicide. But we're going to go with Hey Jealousy. And, And Doug was like the master of coming up with these peppy, upbeat, tempo songs and then writing like these depressing lyrics over it. It's kind of interesting. Because tomorrow we can drive around this town 
Let the cops chase us around. The past is gone. Something else might be found to take its place. Love, I love the new Miserable Experience. It's an amazing album. All right, number three. Did you know Chester Bennington is from Arizona? Did, uh, you didn't? Yeah, he is. From Lincoln Park. And in honor of uh, Chester, we're going to go with uh, a song that he performed the day they found out Chris Cornell had passed away. They performed this. They were supposed to play heavy on Jimmy Kimmel. And instead, they, they sang One More Light. And uh, there's a live version of that that you can find online. And Chester gets very emotional doing the singing of that song. It's very real, very raw. But One More Light is an absolutely beautiful song. And it's basically about the reverence and love for human life. It's like, you know, here's the deal. You know, there's so many people out there that uh, are living life and maybe you know, nobody even pays attention. And when they pass away, sometimes we forget this was somebody's you know, daughter or son or boyfriend or girlfriend at some point. There was, when that child was born, there was somebody in the world that loved them more than anything. And then they're, they're, they've lost their life, and it's like it almost goes uh, with, you know, kind of goes without being remembered. And so that's kind of what the song is about. You know, you know, who cares if one more light goes out? Well, I do. I do. I get chills when I hear that song because it always takes me back to that live performance when they're singing that, and it's the day Chris died. And uh, that always sticks with me. So, so sometimes I'll go watch that and just to kind of remember how that felt, right? All right, number two. Now, many of you are going to disagree with my ranking of number one and number two. You're going to disagree, and I'm okay with it. I'm here for the argument. Number two, another Arizona native that has done huge things in music. I venture to say probably the greatest alto of all time in American music. That's right, it's Miss Stevie Nicks. And we're going to go with a solo track rather than a Fleetwood Mac, so we're going to go with Stand Back. Stand Back. Stevie Nicks, an incredibly beautiful singer, a beautiful person, uh, a lady that has just exudes class and confidence. And uh, so glad that my daughters got into Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac. They, they dig her, and she is such an incredible singer. And I, here's the thing, too. When Stevie Nicks got really popular, like everybody was doing all this operatic stuff. Like there was some harmony stuff, but... Like a lot of female singers, you know, were really using their upper register, but not Stevie. Stevie's like, you know what? This is who I am. I'm going to stay in my lane. And she has a sound that is uniquely her own. I absolutely love her. Like, you've got a bucket list of people you'd love to meet. She is near the top for me. I love Stevie Nicks. I love her whole persona, everything about her. The vibe that she has. I love it. Absolutely love it. But number one for me, somebody else I haven't met. I thought I was going to have a chance to meet him in Tupelo, but uh, they're still kind of COVID cautious. But it's Alice Cooper. And I'm thinking about going to Memphis to see him uh, later this month. I'm thinking about it. I got a lot going on. I do. But if I can swing it, I'm going to go see Alice Cooper again. But because we're getting ready to go play a football game against the University of Arizona, we're going with no more Mr. Nice Guy. No more Mr. Clean. Not, and not the Megadeth version. We're going with the original Alice Cooper version. I love the Alice Cooper catalog. If you've never been to see Alice Cooper, l listen to me. And I mean, it. listen to me. You are missing out on an incredible experience. Whether you know many of the songs or not, there is all this theatrical production. The musicianship is incredible. And Alice is still such an incredible star. And with such command of the stage, 
And there's all this stuff that goes on. So it's like it, there's this story within the story, and there's these songs, and the, you know, the stage presentation is just absolutely remarkable. So if Alice Cooper is coming near you, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how unfamiliar you are with the Alice Cooper catalog. You owe it to yourself to go. Trust me on this. When they came to Tupelo, me and the homie Sam Denton, right down front, front row, absolutely blown away. I had never seen Alice Cooper in person before. Never. It is absolutely phenomenal. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And it's such a multi-generational show. There are so many people that just want to go for the experience. Like, I've never seen them go. And then there's like these old rockers that are there. And then they bring their kids. And in some cases, their grandkids. It's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And there are things that have kind of been in this in the stage show since the 1970s that are just classic and timeless. But you owe it to yourself, if you've never seen Alice Cooper, to go make a show. And again, coming up later this month at the Orpheum in Memphis. So maybe we get a group together and go. I don't know. But I can promise you, you will not come away from an Alice Cooper show disappointed. Man, the guy is just a professional, an incredible entertainer. And been clean and sober and such an advocate for recovery. I have so much incredible respect for him. And so that's one of the reasons I guess he's number one. And I, listen, can you really go wrong between picking between Alice Cooper and Stevie Nicks? I guess it kind of depends on your personal preference. But, uh, yeah, pretty good list here. Now, again, I, I kind of mixed in some newer bands, maybe some people you're unfamiliar with. So as you go through this Spotify list, you're going to find it's pretty diverse. And I think maybe that says a lot about the state of Arizona. So that's our tribute to uh, modern music in the state of Arizona. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. We'll be glad to do them for you. Put you on the list. It may take us a while, but eventually we'll get to your list. And there's sometimes I just can't do the list. Like sometimes like I just don't know enough, and I don't want to disrespect you. I don't want to disrespect the band or upset the fans by doing that. And uh, Friday, I've had a request to somebody said, uh, Steve, have you done this? I think we have, but we're going to look at that on Friday. Roy and I can't find the record that I've done this particular legendary blues guitarist, so we're going to look at doing that. I'll tell you something else, too. Speaking of blues guitarist, Kenny Wayne Shepherd is coming through pretty soon. And I've had, we did a Kenny Wayne Shepherd list on this show, and I had so many people that responded and said, dude, I've, I didn't know. I didn't know he was still playing, or I knew Blue on Black, or, or I was unfamiliar with him, and I love Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Guys, Kenny Wayne Shepherd is my traveling companion more times than not. It is great driving music. I love Kenny Wayne Shepherd's albums. The catalog is so incredibly consistent. And so he's coming through, too. And so if you're looking for a great show, maybe you've never seen Kenny Wayne Shepherd and knowing those guys. You'll be amazed when you go how incredibly talented he is. Guy from Blanchard, Louisiana, just absolutely has an old soul and uh, really true to the Delta Blues in many respects. So check it out, Kenny Wayne Shepherd coming through uh, sometime soon in a town near you. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Campus Bookmart. If you're unfamiliar with Campus Bookmart, you need to familiarize yourself with them and their fine selections of Mississippi State merchandise, the best selection of Bulldog merchandise on the planet. A lot of people make that claim, and it sounds cool in an advertising pitch. It's just not true. It's not true. You go to Campus Bookmart, you're going to be blown away by the selection there. The new bully shop, completely renovated. It's all upstairs now. No longer in the textbook business. Just selling Mississippi State merch. You're going to be so glad you went by. I was there last weekend, absolutely packed. They had a huge day Friday for the grand reopening and a huge day Saturday. I'd never seen it so busy. 
So you guys are responding. Go by and check them out next time you're in town. If you can't make it to town, support a local Starkville business by going to campusbookmart.net. By being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you some cash. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. You know, Christmas is coming soon, Mom. Football season is here, Dad. Everybody wants Mississippi State merch. They, they may not tell you, but, you know, every year at Christmas, when I got that Mississippi State sweatshirt or some Mississippi State bowl memorabilia for Christmas, it was one of the highlights of the holiday season. Treat yourself and your family to some new maroon and white merchandise. Available at Campus Bookmart. Net. Okay, I promised you guys I went and watched the San Diego State-Arizona game in its entirety. And there are several things that stand out to me. Several things, if I can read my notes here. All right, so San Diego State had some success running off the right side. I don't know what they identified there, but they consistently throughout the game were able to run right side. And I mean four, five, six yards and sometimes longer. I don't, again, I don't know what they saw on film, but they attacked that right side, and a lot of offensive coordinators are right-handed, so they t- tend to run right. But they did a good job with it, a very good job with it. And we're not going to run a whole lot, but I suspect if they do the drop eight, we're going to have some success running on the edges. We like to run left a lot, <laughs> but that right side was pretty soft. Now, another thing that's interesting is – San Diego State targeted Rutherford, the cornerback out there. Now, I don't know if he starts this week now that the, uh, the original starter is healthy. But you know Mississippi State's air raid really tests the depth of your secondary because you've got to run and run and run and run and run. There's not a lot of plays off for guys in the secondary. So this Rutherford, Rutherford guy, number two, gave up a touchdown pass to Tyrell Shavers. I give the kid credit. Pretty good coverage. He just didn't get his head around. He didn't play the football. And we've been there before, too. You have guys that can run. They're athletic, but they can't high point the football. Shavers made an unbelievable catch, former Mississippi State Bulldog. And on the broadcast, they called him a former Alabama transfer. I guess that sounds sexier. But he transferred to San Diego State from Mississippi State. Of course, dismissed here at Mississippi State. But the Rutherford kid appears to be a bit of a soft spot in that secondary. Now, you go read their message boards, and they'll even talk about that. Oh, Rutherford's going to really struggle in this. I think that's important to understand. We kind of know we're, we're acutely aware of our own deficiencies personnel-wise at times, right? Nobody knows better than us. So I trust their opinions about the guy. But it's interesting that that's the guy that I wrote down, and then they kind of uh, you know, confirm my suspicions that this guy might be a guy that we can target. And they did target him a lot. Now, San Diego State lost their starter midway through the game, and they had to play a run first quarterback. And by this point, they're down a couple scores. And so they were pretty vanilla and elementary on offense. And so I think that kind of played a little bit into you know, the game itself. You, know, you get down and you don't, you don't have the element of the dual threat quarterback, and you've got to be somewhat one-dimensional. I think that's an important part of this thing, too. San Diego State, not a great passing team by any stretch of the imagination. So they don't know they really tested those linebackers because that's the thing with us. It's we put linebackers in conflict, and that's what happens 
when people are dropping eight, we'll just okay, fine, we'll take these five yards right here on first down. It's cool. Fine with us. We'll get on schedule with that. So I think it's important to understand when they knew that San Diego State couldn't pass, they stacked the box and they stopped the run. Okay, looking at the Arizona side of things, um, they did get some pressure. They got some pressure, but it was also, too, San Diego State was really more of a traditional drop-back passing offense. They weren't lining up in the shotgun, and I think offensive line-wise, they were a little bit shook at times. And so they'd have guys, especially the tackle positions, that I didn't think were on the Power 5 level, and you don't expect them to be. They're a good G5 program. But they were able to get some pressure outside. They were able to get outside those tackles, and, and there were a couple times they lined up uh, at a seven tech and really just kind of got wide and just out-athleted the San Diego State uh, tackles. They also blocked a punt, and it was pretty well done. And Arizona actually blocked their own punt, and they blocked a San Diego State punt, so it ended up kind of being you know, a, a decent trade there. Of course, Arizona punted from their own end zone, and then the up man – or the personal protector kind of shaded to the left, and the punt goes off his arm since recovered in the end zone for a touchdown. But the Arizona punt block was very well executed, and that's something that we're going to have to be mindful of. And, you know, Eric Mealy and those guys see that on tape. The guy just basically came free and took it off the punter's uh, foot. And it did go forward, I think, about a dozen yards. But it was a very well executed play and probably something they picked up in the protection on last year's film. When you see guys come free like that, it's not always a great individual effort. It's usually a mistake by the kicking team or something schematically that people have picked up in that blocking scheme they can exploit. That's what it looked like to me. Now, uh, Jaden Delora, I mentioned him earlier. The guy, really a great leader. I mean, when you hear him speak, he just exudes confidence and you can see why people want to play with him. He does not have a big arm. He is accurate with the football, but he does not have a big arm. He's not a huge kid, but he is an athletic kid. Again, not a dual-threat guy. Got some ability in the pocket, so when you bring pressure, you know, he does enough to kind of evade that and extend the play. But he doesn't have a huge arm. There were times that, you know, they're throwing the ball up the hash, and it took absolutely forever to get there. Not a tight spiral, not really, you know, kind of cutting through the, the, the air by any stretch of imagination. And I think it's important to kind of understand that with SEC speed, those windows are going to be much tighter. Can we exploit that? What do they do to try to, uh, you know, do they simplify his reads a little bit? They roll him outside the pocket? I don't, I don't know. But he doesn't have a big arm. You see all these numbers and you think, well, man, but he's a typical air raid like Mike Leach quarterback. He is a guy that uh, is obviously very intelligent and very confident, but he's also very accurate. Not great mechanically. And there are sometimes, too, he really has to load up. And maybe that gives us that half second to get to him. But he's not a guy that's really going to challenge you, you know, down the field. And when he does, he really, really has to muscle up. And mechanically, kind of falls apart. And so there were a handful of balls that were thrown down the field where a receiver had to kind of adjust back. So he kind of lays it up there too much. Just doesn't have quite the arm strength to get there. But, again, very accurate with what he does. And I've read some things, and people talk about how he gets the ball out quickly. Well, he does at times. But I think, again, that's kind of by design. You've got, you know, maybe a, a one-receiver, two-receiver route where, you, like, you, um, based on certain looks, you kind of know where you're going to go. And, and they spoke about that in postgame. It's like, hey, when we get certain looks, we know exactly where we're going to go with the football. And so I think when things go to script for them, 
uh, he's a guy that can make you uncomfortable. But what happens when he has to get deeper into the reads, when you jump that route and all of a sudden he's got to go to second, third receiver? And we've got to do a good job putting him in a decision-making process. We can't let him just sit out there and, and go to his initial read and expect to, uh, to get off the field. Now, they like to run the football, and they, they did a good job early on establishing the run. And uh, I, I like their running backs. And I don't look at these guys and say, okay, well, this is – you know, this is one of those, you know, it's not Emmett Smith out there by any stretch of imagination, and that's not what I'm trying to suggest. I do believe that this is they're, – they're better than serviceable, right? There are some guys you look at and say, okay, well, they're just enough to keep you honest. They have some guys that can make some plays, and I think that's important too. And so what happened in order to counter that, San Diego State had to go with like a four, a four-man front, and at times a bear formation – to try to slow down the run, which is exactly what Arizona wanted them to do. Arizona wanted them to kind of get out there and kind of get that going because of the fact it opened up some things in the past. And so, you know, let me just go through this first drive here, okay? This, the Arizona first drive of the ball game. It's important. So they come out and they run the middle for eight. Then they run off left for one, back in the middle. Then they run for three. Then they run for right for four. And so it's like they start the game with five consecutive running plays and convert, pick up a couple first downs. And so then, then all of a sudden we're passing a little bit. And then, you know, so we kind of get them where it's a dealer's choice. We've shown that we can run the football. And so that opens up some passing stuff for us. And uh, they go right down and score. On a, it's a field goal, but they did go right down and score. So pretty good drive there. They get a three and out. And then what do they do? First down, we run off left side for five. Then we're complete. Then we run up the middle. We run right. And then it's pass, pass, pass. And it's touchdown. And so they're trying to establish the run. They're trying to show that they can set up some things. And it's all kind of predicated on establishing a run game first. And because of the fact they were having some success running the football, San Diego State had to counter. And when they countered with personnel groups, Arizona then changed their attack. Very, 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 very good game planning here. And, and I say that, I think it's important to kind of understand, this is not, even though this is a second-year coach that didn't win many games last year, this is not a situation where they don't know football. Jacob Cowan is a dude for them. Eight catches, 152 yards, three touchdowns. I say that because I think it's important to understand how they use him is the, one of the reasons he's so successful. Number one, he's a very gifted athlete. He is. He is fast. He's not elite, but he's more quick than fast. He will make you miss in the open field. I would say he's probably maybe a little bit taller version of Tulu, maybe about the same. That's kind of who he kind of reminds me of, kind of relatable to what you guys have. Tulu, Tulu might be a little bit thicker than him. Um, but I like how they use Cow. Now, one of the things that I noticed is when they, were, they went with this four-man front and sometimes a bear look to kind of slow down the run, next thing you know, they run some three-by-one concepts. They run trips left, and they have Cowing set up as the inside slot receiver. That gives him the entire middle of the field to work with. Well, what happens? He gets paired up with a linebacker. Well, he runs right by the guy for a touchdown. And so that's good situational football. It's like, hey, we're going to go pound the run. And we're going to make you respect our ability to run. And then when you get caught with a run first defense on the field, 
we're going to get the matchup that we want. And I thought it was really good football. And I think it says a lot about their ability to game plan and then set up mismatches that are advantageous to the offense. That's an important part of it. That's really an important part of it. Now, there is a young man, too, uh, considered one of the highest-rated recruits in Arizona football history. And I, I'm going to mess this name up, I know. But it's uh, Tedaroa McMillan, and he's actually from Hawaii. He's a freshman receiver. He was recruited by absolutely everybody and chose Arizona. Had a good first game. He did. Had a good first game for those guys. And uh, he pulls in. Let's see here. Let's see here. I guess Michael Wiley is still there. Uh, McMillan, three catches, 53 yards, and a touchdown. And he's a long, long physical receiver. But they spread the ball around. Dorian Singer had six catches, 57 yards, and he's a pretty good-looking athlete, too. Michael Wiley is back. I was wrong about that. So, D.J. Wiggins, we talked about him earlier from Florida State, 14 carries for 88 yards. Jonah Coleman, 13 for 40. Michael Wiley, 6 for 31. So, last year's starter, you know, the third fewest carries in the ballgame. So, it's important for us to go out there and stop the run and make them one-dimensional. And there really hadn't been a lot of people, with the exception of Alabama, that have been able to run the football with any level of success against the Zach Garnett defense. That's an important thing to, to figure out. Now, one of the things they like to do with Arizona is they like to run that stretch play and then boot off of it. So they'll run the stretch play and kind of get that established. And then, you know, they're slanting their offensive line so everybody's flowing to the football and then they'll boot out the backside of it and kind of have like a hollow concept out there. And, of course, Delores got some running ability. Again, he's not a guy you're going to have a lot of design quarterback runs for. But he gets out there with the run-pass option, and if he doesn't like what he wants, you know, unless somebody stays home on the backside, there's a good chance he's going to be able to move change there. So that's something to kind of watch too. But those three-by-one concepts I think are really interesting because I think, you know, it's all kind of predicated – you know, on what happens with uh, with uh, Cowan. The guy's really good. Mississippi State recruited him out of the portal, and people are like, why can't we get him? He's, going, he's from UTEP. Why can't we get him? Well, he's a Maricopa, Arizona native. It was his dream to go play at Arizona, and he said that in postgame. Been his dream his whole life to be an Arizona Wildcat. So you can't, you can't, you, you can't fault the kid for that, for chasing a childhood dream. But those are a few things that I've seen, and I think it's kind of important to kind of understand that this is a, an improved team. And again, for the second straight week, Mississippi State gets a defensive coordinator with limited experience as a play caller. Their defensive coordinator, of course, it replaced Don Brown. That's his first game calling the defense. So, you know, and he got the game ball a lot with that. Now, looking at the um, special team stuff. So, Tyler Loop is the kicker. Kicked off seven times and had three touchbacks. So maybe there's some returnable kicks there for us. One ball he actually kicked out of bounds and gave him to him at 35. And so it's a less than 50% kickoff ratio, and it's a small sample size for this year. Uh, but he's a sophomore, and he's a guy that uh, was part of it last year. You know, but um, he was the punter last year for them. So it's important to kind of understand the game within the game. You know, can we win the battlefield position? You know, can we get some returnable kicks, and can we make them pay for it? You know, that, that's what's interesting. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, this is a game, if we go out there and we don't play clean, we're going to come home with sand in our hair and pain in our hearts 
But if we go out there and play clean, and we didn't, I didn't think we played clean last week, and we got a little sloppy. But if we go out there and play four quarters, I think we're going to get after these guys. And I think Vegas is right. You know, watching Delora throw the football, the passing windows that were open last week are not going to be open. Uh, the running lanes that were open last week shouldn't be open. You know, you, they, they don't. San Diego State has nobody like Cameron Young. You know, we don't have to walk five and six guys up in the box to stop the run. And again, you're looking at their defensive line. You know, on the Arizona side, they've got length. I just don't know if they're quite as even as athletic as what we saw last week at Memphis. So I think we're going to be able to run football when we choose to. But I think this is an Arizona team. If we let them hang around, and all of a sudden they start believing, and you know they have their thirty thousand people there, and it may be a little bit. I, I would say if if the kickoff was earlier, they'd probably have a better crowd. I think you know that the eight p.m. kick hurts even local attendance. So I don't I don't expect a huge crowd, but I, I think we can't let them begin to believe. If that makes sense, we can't let them hang around and feel like hey, this is our year, everything is better, we got to figure it out. And kind of looking at the numbers last week, San Diego State was 7 of 16 throwing the football for 62 yards. That's it. Just 16 attempts. And Will Haskell was the, uh, the backup quarterback that came in, the run first guy. He was 2 of 6 for 11. And to kind of put that in perspective, he had a long of 12. So he had one for a negative one. So he had one positive passing play. And is it any wonder that they lost, right? And that's part of it. That's part of football, right? Injuries are part of the game. But looking at these defensive numbers, I mean, you know, they netted 170 yards rushing, 232 yards of offense. Now, some of that, you give Arizona some credit, but some of that's their own ineptitude. It's a much different offense. And this is an offense last from San Diego State that was a run-first scheme against this group. It's going to be completely different. So I don't know if you can learn a whole lot schematically about Arizona defensively from what you saw last week because I think they're going to defense us completely different because we're going to attack them completely different. The the, the leading uh, carry guy for San Diego State last week, uh, Braxton Burmeister, starting quarterback, 10 carries for 20 yards. Leading rusher at 39. I mean, just, you know, a complete meltdown in many respects. Their leading receiver had three guys catch two passes. That's it. And, and Tyrell Shavers, the, the only touchdown. So, again, I, I know when you look at San Diego State's record from last year, you think, man, it's a good win. And it is a good win, when you, especially when you haven't won. But anytime you win on the road, it's big. I just kind of question, after watching the actual game and not just reading the box score, I just kind of question the quality of this San Diego State Aztec team this year. And, of course, uh, you know, Zach Arnett's got some connections to San Diego State. And so I suspect that uh, he probably got some information that will be helpful as he game plan for Arizona. Now, I will not be around for coaching opportunity interviews this evening. Uh, some other people will. So hope, maybe I'll just shoot somebody a text message and maybe ask them about that. I don't know if Zach would, would, be, would talk about it or not. Leading tackler last weekend for Arizona, Jerry Roberts. Redshirt senior linebacker from Erie, Pennsylvania. Had a dozen tackles in the ballgame. And, again, when you're, you, you expect that, you know, when you've got a team that's committed to the run. 
you, you should have a linebacker make a lot of tackles. And Jalen Harris, uh, eight tackles for them. Christian Young, seven. Jackson Turner, seven. You know, so some names you're somewhat familiar with, I guess. Hunter Eccles, the linebacker, they're expecting to be the big guy, a couple tackles. Uh, Christian Roland Wallace had three. So, you know, we'll see how things kind of progress here. But um, turnovers were a big part of this ballgame, too. You know, you had, we talked about the special teams things. But, uh, you know, you had a couple turnovers that uh, Arizona says they should have scored every drive. They feel like they stopped themselves. They had a really bad fumble, and then they had uh, an interception that was pretty bad, too. And then there was an interception for San Diego State that went off the receiver's hands and right into the, the waiting arms of a – Arizona defender. So it's important to kind of understand how all this is kind of working together. We learned a little bit about them, but I don't think we learned an awful lot. I don't think we learned an awful lot. I think we've learned that, number one, they're, they're probably a little more athletic than they were last year. And now they're coming off a win, and they're probably thinking, you know what? We get off to a good start here. We've got a chance to turn this program around. So we're going to get their best shot. What that proves to be kind of remains to be seen. You know, is this a quality team? I don't think they are. I think, I think they're improved, but it's not – I don't think they're compared to what we're going to see week in and week out in the Southeastern Conference. I won't be the least bit surprised if, if you look up at halftime and State's up two or three scores. I won't be. And, again, what we have to do is avoid this becoming a you know, one-possession game in the fourth quarter. That's what we've got to do. We, we can't – again, you can't let them hang around and begin to have some belief and – you know, my hope is is that, that late night we get off to a quick start, that stadium will empty out, and, and maybe our, our little small sliver of fans will take over. I know we've got some great Bulldog fans that live out in Arizona that are making the trip to go support the team. Uh, so my hope is they get a chance to go home happy that night. But, again, watching the game, I feel better after watching the game than I did when I saw the score. And I was like, hey, look at this. Look at this, Brady Hoke's group going down. You know, and that's you know, Brady Hoke's group's always been kind of a pass happy deal. They just don't appear to have the personnel to run what they ordinarily do. So we're going to stress that Arizona defense in a much different way. Just got to take care of the football. And, and last weekend we only had five penalties. We, that, that needs to kind of be where the baseline is. We need to stay right there. We don't need to go out there and get behind the chains. And uh, again, I don't. I just don't think that Arizona defensive front is much different than Memphis. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I just don't think they're quite there yet. I think, again, that you go out and get a couple transfers and you kind of improve uh, your talent level there. You know, but Memphis, you know, you know, those guys have developed some players too. I just – I don't – I think it's going to be comparable to what we saw last week up front. You know, that Memphis secondary was supposed to be pretty good too, right? That was all the discussion. You know, that Memphis secondary was the most experienced personnel group on that defense. And they were awful last week. So, if we can get over the altitude, right, if we can get acclimated, we're going to be fine. We're going to be absolutely fine. And I think that we're a team, too, that uh, is perhaps a lot better than people realize. Not that we're going to get a lot of respect for going and beating Arizona, a team that's won you know, two games and uh, 25 tries, or one game, excuse me, one game and 24 tries. Uh, there's no, nobody's going, well, it's just Arizona. And if we lose, they'll be like, oh, look at Arizona, you know, 2-0. and uh, I, I am a little concerned about it just because it is a Power 5 team on the road. And even though they've had uh, you know, a tradition of losing here as of late, anytime that you got to go in somebody else's backyard, especially a Power 5 team that feels like they got a little juice, it can be a dicey proposition. We need Will to play well. It's as simple as that. We need Will to play well. We need to protect him. 
And if we go out there and execute at even a, a good level of proficiency, I don't even think we have to be elite. I think State wins this game, and I think we cover. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. I've told you guys many times, if I was moving to Starkville, I would move to Portico. I would love to be that close to campus, just 1.1 miles away, but you're tucked away there in a nice little neighborhood, right? Easy to find. Off 82, on to 12, very first right, Pat Station Road, go through the four-way stop, Portico right there on your right. Incredible. Love the little designs they have out there. The housing plans are great. Now, you don't have a big yard, you know, and that's cool too. I'm not a guy that enjoys cutting grass. Maybe you are. I'd rather do something else in my time. But uh, I'm not a big yard guy, you know, but you can go pick out your lot, maybe get a bigger yard while you're there. And you can have a say in your housing plans. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two, under development now. So maybe you act today. If you've been thinking about getting a place in Starkville, look no further than Portico. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Reach out to my friend, your friend, Mississippi State's friend, Brooks Bryan, at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Your new neighbors are already enjoying life in Starkville. Maybe this is your ballgame weekend retreat. Maybe it's your future retirement home. Or maybe it's your primary residence. They've got a housing plan that fits you. And they're absolutely spectacular. Again, you owe it to yourself next time you're in town. Go by, just go by yourself and say, you know what? This is pretty cool. I think I'd like to live here. I'd like to live there. I live out here in the sticks. I'd love to be that close to campus. And again, Portico, make it your next move. All right, you may have heard by now that uh, Preston Johnson, former Mississippi State pitcher Preston Johnson, uh, out for the season now. Uh, in minor league baseball. Had uh, his first appearance and uh, now has had Tommy John surgery. I'm told by a source close to the family, uh, he actually had surgery today. Had surgery today. He's in recovery. Things went well. They expected to make a full recovery. He's just, you know, like everybody else, you go out there and you get cut on. You're experiencing some pain. But, uh, you know, he's going to be good to go. And uh, so that brings the question a lot. Like, I, I see this. I get immediately get a lot of messages about this. Well, Steve, what's going on? Okay, the first thing that I'll tell you, Preston's not with us anymore. Like, Preston has been under the supervision, the medical care, and the coaching umbrella of a completely different organization. And so, like, people want to find something to blame. Guys, here's the thing. Throwing a baseball overhand is one of the most unnatural things that you can do with your body. The ball and socket joint was really not designed to go that way. You know, uh, here's the deal. Guys get hurt in baseball. And people say that you try to find some common denominator here. And it's like we want to find a way to blame Mississippi State. Now, that's not to say that Chris Simonis and those guys don't maybe need to look into what we're doing just to ensure that there's not an issue. But these things, you know, there's never any rhyme or reason to this. You know, a couple of years ago we had that weighted ball program that uh, was kind of abused that we think contributed to some of that. But the way that I look at it too is like, you know, if this is going to happen to Preston, I'm glad he's already signed a contract as in under the care of a professional group because if he had done it here, he may miss his window, right? But immediately I start getting these messages and like, hey, what's going on? You know, what, you know, what's happening? You know, guys, it happens in baseball. And, you know, the year before we didn't have any of those issues. You know, I, I guess that's not totally true. We lost Riley Self. But that's baseball. And I hate to say it so callously, but it's almost like the, nowadays because we have so many guys trying to throw harder than ever before, 
We have guys trying to get greater spin rate on their breaking ball than ever before because that's all the rage. We're putting more torque on these joints. You're putting more torque on these ligaments. Being a major college pitcher or a professional pitcher is not for everybody. And there's a lot of things that we're still learning. You know, we're asking these young people to do more than they've ever done. And uh, Frank Montgomery told me several months ago that uh, the worst thing that ever happened to pitching is a radar gun because everybody wants to throw harder. And so what happens when you throw harder mechanically, you break some things down. There are a lot of people out there that throw and don't know how to pitch. And so I, I just share that, that, you know, sometimes you just have a run of bad luck. But I think it's also important to understand Preston wasn't throwing at our facility. And Preston hadn't been in our throwing program, and that's not in any way to, to, to cast blame at anybody. But it's like, at what point do we just kind of accept this as part of baseball? Unfortunately, it is. I mean, you look up and down the SEC rosters last year. I mean, look at how many people had a pitcher or two that they lost for the year with arm trouble. You know, I hate it. I don't think it needs to be an annual rite of passage by any stretch of imagination. But it's like, let's not just blame Mississippi State because we're just acutely aware of what happens at Mississippi State. You remember uh, two years ago, it was Xavier Hill. I maybe get the name wrong because I've moved on from that. LSU's ace, ACL. You know, pre-lup. Excuse me, UCL. And so I just share that because I think it's important to understand that uh, we hate it for the young people. But it's, you know, it's not like we're out here abusing these guys. And if anything, I think that Scott Foxhall, if anything, is probably safer with his guys than most people. You look back at our NAFL championship season in 2021, beginning of the year, and we're throwing guys, you know, 80, 85 pitches. And our fans are like, I don't understand. Why don't we work deeper in games? Look at what they're doing at Ole Miss. Look at what they're doing in Vandy. And then how many of those pitchers from Ole Miss and Vandy had to miss time? And so we were fresher later. And so when I, when I see people come out here and are critical of Scott Foxhall and Chris Simonis, knowing what I know about how they – I hate to use the word baby, these pitchers, but they're very careful – with pitchers because here's what happens is you start getting these guys turning down big league money to come to college and they leave as damaged goods then then kids quit coming right so they're well aware of the fact that it's not just this kid it's the next kid and the one after him you got to take care of these guys and so when kumar rocker and jack Leiter and those guys were throwing 100 plus pitches in march and we're throwing 80 you know we had some fans that were upset now, yes, Vandy made it to the NAFL Championship Series, too, but those guys were on fumes. You know, Leiter, of course, missed a handful of starts in the middle of the year, too. And you remember, we rocked him in Nashville. And so, put the pitchforks down. You know, we got a bunch of new arms coming in. You know, and I read stuff sometimes, too. There's a lot of people with hot takes and not a lot of facts. And so, don't just assume that this is a Mississippi State issue. It's not. It's a baseball issue. And we're doing the best we can through a strength and conditioning program and a rest program and a long toss program to ensure that we're strengthening our arms in the right way to help minimize some of this risk. 
but I'm going to get out here and defend our guys a little bit too. You know, it's like I think that's important to understand. It's like the narrative out there is, you know, it's like we see this and we have some fans that, um, you know, I, I, I kind of have a blame Mississippi State first mentality. And so I'm not being overly critical of those folks, but it's just like there's a perception that is not always based in reality. It's like, hey, well, this happened, so somehow it's got to be our fault. You know, uh, I, I just don't think that's the case. And we're all entitled to our opinions. But I, I can tell you, you know, based on what we've seen with how Scott manages pitchers in his time here at Mississippi State, we're not abusing arms. And remember, everybody was all upset. Why aren't we throwing Landon Sims twice a weekend? And we rarely ever did. What's because we wanted to keep him fresh? We wanted to keep him healthy? And so based on what you've seen, you've actually seen with how Mississippi State has handled pitchers over the course of a season, does that match with this, you know, this Facebook narrative, social media narrative? Oh, we're abusing pitchers. Well, that's not, that's not the case. And so I think it's important that we kind of get that out there and discuss it among ourselves because, you know, the reality of the situation is that we're very careful with pitchers. And, I mean, how many times in the past couple of years have, uh, you know, we gone out there, ah, you know, he wasn't feeling right, we're not going to take a chance with his arm. It happens all the time. If a guy doesn't feel right, we're not going to expect him to push through it. They're very careful with that. They're very, very arm care sensitive at Mississippi State. Sometimes things happen. It doesn't always mean it's somebody's fault. And I know that's what it is. We want to spend a lot of time kind of assigning blame. But we don't abuse pitchers here at Mississippi State. It's not what we do. There's an incredible arm care program here that, that you know, they, they are very, very regimented about. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, off the record, you know, Hey, how come so-and-so didn't go today? Well, you know, he didn't, he didn't feel quite right, so we're just going to give him a couple of days to kind of rest and see how he feels. We'll do a bullpen with him later this week and see if the problem continues or if it's good to go. And nine times out of ten, it's good to go. You know, it's just, you know, some you know, minor ailment or maybe it's a, you know, it's a strained muscle or something. Maybe it's just, you know, some inflammation, right? Because, again, throwing a baseball at 98 miles an hour puts a lot of wear and tear on your arm. So I just wanted to get out of here and get that out there. It's because I think it's important for us to you know, see both sides of this and not just assume right out of the gate that we're doing something to the detriment of our pitchers at Mississippi State. That's just not true. It's just absolutely not true. Also, we're going to have some fall. We should have a fall baseball roster here any day now. I've been expecting it for a week or so, and, of course, it'll probably come out tomorrow when I'm you know, finishing up my trip to Arizona. But the reality of it is is that we've got a lot going on We've got uh, a lot of uh, a lot of new faces, and so you're going to need a scorecard. You're going to need a program. You're going to need to kind of familiarize yourself with these players. We're going to be doing headshots here later this week, so they'll be updating the online roster. And there are going to be some names on there you're unfamiliar with. There are going to be some names that uh, you know maybe you hope would come back that didn't. You know, it's not going to be a big surprise. But my, but the point of it is is that you know the roster is settled now. And uh, we're getting ready to get, you know, get on the field this fall. There are going to be some open scrimmages. You'll be able to chance to come out. And I encourage you to do that. I think you're going to feel even better about the season if you come to a fall scrimmage and you see guys like Colton Ledbetter and Connor Isaac and those guys out there hitting tanks. And you see all these pitchers we have. Because like last year, it was kind of last of the Mohicans, right? We were down to kind of really thin 
pitching staff. You got a lot of new arms. Got some portal arms, got some JUCO arms, got some high school arms. You got a lot of new ones. Now, you don't want to have to rely on a lot of freshmen. But the reality of it is, is we're going to have a lot more options to choose from this year. And I think, too, just like using those younger guys to kind of manage through non-conference games in a midweek, that's a huge contribution right there. You know, saving some wear and tear on your other guys over the course of a season. And some guys go out there and just throw an inning, you know, just to kind of get a bullpen. But, you know, maybe those younger guys, many of them, that's their contribution to Mississippi State baseball this year. Is, hey, let's go get our feet wet in midweek, and then later in the year maybe that guy can be a middle reliever for us. Maybe he can go an inning, get a six outs, whatever, you know. And so having more guys available to do that will save your weekend guys, especially out of that bullpen, I think a lot of wear and tear. I think it's a huge part of things. Because, I mean, there were times last year you guys all saw it. We get ready to go play a midweek game. Like, Steve, who's going to start? Is, is Lane Forsythe going to start for us on the mound? You know, it's like that's how desperate a situation got at times last year. And so I don't think you're going to have to encounter any of that this year. But we need these young guys to grow up pretty quick. We need them to get out there this fall and uh, get some innings under them, you know, and get settled and get comfortable. I mean, it's going to be the whole uh, – the shock and awe of wearing the M over S and actually having Chris Lamonis lead practice. You got to get over that pretty quick. We got to get going. Get it. You're, you're Mississippi State Bulldog now, Right. So it's time to get going. And so you have a chance to get out there, go watch that. I encourage you to get out there, too. A lot of newcomers on this uh, roster. That are, This is going to be their first introduction to the Mississippi State baseball family as you guys turn it out coming to a fall scrimmage. I encourage you to do that when you're in town. There are many of you I don't have to encourage because you can't wait. You absolutely can't wait to get out there and go watch the kids run around and play on that most sacred patch of green grass in the entire country. If you hadn't done so, Go to dogpilethebook.com. You know who hit me up this weekend? Saw him in person. Brantley Jones. Brantley, of course, part of Stark Villains. I'd never met Brantley before. We talked on the phone, traded a lot of messages, and I met Brantley in person at Campus Bookmark. And uh, we took a picture together. I put it out on social media. And then Brantley ordered some books, man. He said, I need to get this for so-and-so and this for so-and-so. And so he ordered some books. And, uh, you know, of course, we'd sent him one, you know, after uh, Stark Villains was complete. It's a gift for him being so generous and sharing his story. But he's like, you know, Steve, I got to get dog power. I, I got to have that book. You know, I began to think, you know, how many ballplayers played at Mississippi State that were part of building that that maybe don't have it yet. And so maybe you know a ball player. Maybe reach out. Maybe you have a copy of Dog Pile, but maybe your neighbor doesn't. Maybe your uh, church member that played at Mississippi State doesn't. So maybe it's a good gift for you, kind of leading into the holiday season. You can get all my sports books at dogpiletobook.com. That's Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs. You can get them all signed. As a matter of fact, about twice a month, I go sign a couple of cases of books. So there's really no waiting for all that stuff. So be sure and uh, reach out at dogpilethebook.com. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com. And Stark Villains gear, always available at StarkVillains.com. It's so weird how like, I, I won't get a message for like a week or two, and then like I get five. Where can I get the shirt? StarkVillains.com. I don't wear them as often because i got so many concert shirts. I've been wearing a lot of Lillian Axe stuff lately. I'm trying to promote the show. And that reminds me. When you share the show, like if you share a Facebook post or you retweet it, that is helpful. That is absolutely helpful. I, I spend a lot of time, effort, and money to promote the show. But that's free. You know, when I put that on social media and you share it, it's free. And I appreciate it. I know you have nothing to gain other than the fact that Mississippi State becomes 
and remains a very competitive athletic program. But it means an awful lot. And I do go check and see who retweeted stuff. And, like, when I see people sharing it on Facebook, I always go like the post because I want them to know that I saw it and how much I appreciate it. And so that's a way you can help us. You know, maybe you say, you know what, Steve, I'm financially strapped. I'd love to be able to buy a couple tickets to gift the students, but I just, I'm not in a position to do it. You know what, you can share it on social media, though. And so it means an awful lot to me. It means a lot to the student-athletes because you never know. You may share that, and maybe somebody says, you know what, hey, I'm going to go to that show. I'm going to give, I'm going to give some money to this. I'm going to buy some tickets. And that could be the difference one day of, uh, you know, of us getting a great NIL opportunity for a student-athlete or not. I mean, it, it, all of it adds up. We all have a role to play. And so I, I share that with you again. I think it's important to understand. All right, I'm about to go pack a bag. I'm going to hit the road, and I'll probably spend the night somewhere in West Oklahoma, and I'll finish up tomorrow. And uh, going to start in northern New Mexico and kind of work my way down and go see some cool things out there. So many of you have reached out that know those areas well out there in the, uh, the old west and have said, hey, you got to go and see this. And, and I plan to go do that. Don't expect me to post a bunch of pictures. I'm, I'm not that guy. I mean, I'll probably do a couple things, but I'm not that guy. You know, I like to be able to go see things and experience them, not necessarily to go put them on social media to say, hey, look at what I've done. And maybe at other times in my life I have felt that way, but uh, I'm just going to go enjoy myself and kind of get away from all this for a couple of days. But I will bring all my stuff, and I will be able to communicate with you guys on Friday as we kind of preview the SEC weekend and kind of look ahead. And, and I'll give you some updates of what I found out there Uh, in the Old West. How about that? Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.